Well, amen. Thank you, the praise team, for leading us in that time of worship. If you'll take your copy of God's Word and join me, 1 Corinthians chapter 2. 1 Corinthians chapter 2. This morning we will consider what I like to say are the habits of a healthy church. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, we'll begin reading in verse 1 in just a moment, and we'll consider habits of a healthy church. Let me begin by saying, first off, um, I know that there are a lot of folks who are from out of town. I am not Pastor Chad. Never could be. We are blessed to have a wonderful pastor. Um, my heart hurts for Pastor Chad this morning. His mom passed away, and uh, he'll be preaching part of the service this afternoon. I know a lot of us plan on leaving here shortly to go see the family, be there for the funeral. I just ask that you be praying for Pastor Chad. He is a dear friend, a dear friend, and a wonderful godly man. Let's pray for Pastor Chad. Can we do that? Heavenly Father, we do come before you now. Lord, we ask that you would wrap up in your arms your servant. Lord, I lift up Chad and Cole to you. Lord, I pray that you today would give them a peace that surpasses all understanding. Lord, I know that they are hurting. I know that they have wept. Lord, I know that that they feel a pain that is deep down inside. But Lord, at the same time, I know that there is great joy in their hearts. Lord, a joy that can only be explained and experienced by people who trust in Christ as Savior and Lord. Thank you for his family. Thank you for, Lord, his beautiful children. I pray that you would wrap them up in your arms as well. Lord, I pray today that you would give him Holy Spirit unction that as he stands to preach at a funeral for his own mom, that you would give him strength, that you would sustain him, and that, Lord, the power of the gospel would be made, made clear so that people could hear the truth of the love of Christ, even as it's remembered and reflected in the life a woman like Miss Tina. Lord, I pray that you would move. Bring peace to the family. And we ask all this in Christ's name. Amen. Well, my name is Bo Rice. Um, I have the privilege of serving as the Dean of New Orleans Baptist Theological Seminary, been a member here at FBNO. In fact, uh, the president of the seminary, Jamie Dew, and I got to split a little time serving as interims, co-interims here at FBNO before Pastor Chad came. So I've had the, the great privilege of preaching to this congregation on many times. Unfortunately, when I was here during most of that time, it was the midst of COVID. So I might've been preaching to you, but I was just staring at that camera for a little while with nobody in the room. You talk about an awkward experience, but God has sustained us and God has brought us to this place. Let me go ahead and say, whenever Chad contacted me about preaching this Sunday, obviously very late notice because of what happened with his mom, 
Um, obviously, I'm going to support my pastor. I'm going to do anything I can to help my pastor. And so, uh, very quickly began to pray. And, uh, and I'm going to make a confession here. So, I preached at a church last week, First Baptist Church of Brandon, Mississippi. Um, one of those bittersweet moments for us as a family. I will be transitioning from the seminary, going back to the pastorate myself. And in that process, I asked God to give me a word to speak to the church at First Baptist Brandon for my very first sermon to be able to encourage them. And, and I heard a, a mentor say to me years ago, anytime you start a ministry and end a ministry, just preach Jesus. Just preach Jesus. Because as a pastor, I know Pastor Chad wants this, as a pastor, I want all of my ministry to be to be pointing to who Christ is, to Christ and the work that he's done for us. And I want all of my, my life and my ministry to be, to be focused on him so that one of these days when God calls me home or until Jesus returns, I will be in the presence of God and just hear him say, well done, good and faithful servant. You pointed people to Christ. And ultimately, church, that's, all that really matters, isn't it? I'm going to ask you if you will stand in honor of reading God's word. We're going to dive into our text this morning, 1 Corinthians chapter 2. Begin reading in verse 1, 1 through 5. I won't keep you on your feet very long. As we, again, consider the habits of a healthy church. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 1. When I came to you, brothers and sisters, announcing the mystery of God to you, I did not come with brilliance of speech or wisdom. I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I came to you in weakness and fear and in much trembling. My speech and my preaching were not with persuasive words of human wisdom, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power so that your faith might not be based on human wisdom, but on God's power. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, ask that as we dig into your word this morning, that you would speak to our hearts. Lord, remind us of what matters most. Lord, remind us of what pleases you most in the body of Christ. Lord, remind us of how we, Lord, can can preach and proclaim a simple message of the gospel, how we can humble ourselves before you as almighty God. And then, Lord, we'll trust you. We'll trust you to work in our midst. We'll trust you to do something great right here at First Baptist New Orleans. Then, Lord, we pray you would do it in such a way that you and only you get all the glory and honor and praise. Lord, we love you. We trust you. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. You may be seated. First Church of Corinth was an incredible church with a very rich history. Yet, if you read all of First and Second Corinthians, even amongst that rich history, you understand, you see a fact that it was a church that had a lot of problems. That's how we know it was probably a Baptist church. Um, a lot of good things happening, but at the same time, you know, there was just always something that was happening in the church for people to argue about. I kid, but not really. It was a church that was started by the Apostle Paul himself. I mean, I mean, think about that. Let's just be honest. Outside of Jesus Christ, probably 
no greater preacher that's ever stepped foot on the face of this earth than the Apostle Paul, started by, by Paul. He stayed there for about a year and a half serving as their first pastor. And, and not only that, whenever, whenever God called him away to continue on his missionary journeys, to continue to plant churches, he even had the privilege of, of hand-selecting his successor, a very eloquent preacher by the name of Apollos. Now, you would think that first church of Corinth, a church that was started by the, the Apostle Paul, who had pastored there for a year and a half, and then was immediately followed by a great, eloquent preacher by the name of Apollos, you would think that if there was any church that had everything all together, that it would be first church of Corinth, right? But that wasn't the case. Though they had a lot of things that were going well, though, though, that they, though they had a rich history, it was a church that was actually divided. They were divided on things of issues of doctrine. They were divided on, on practical issues, even the church. They were a church that had a rich history, yet for so many other reasons, they were actually divided. And ultimately, it was a church that at times looked more like the world than the body of Christ itself. A church with a rich history, yet a church that was riddled by division, and walking and acting more like the world. They stopped ultimately, ultimately marveling at the cross and began to then turn to the wisdom of the world and to its teachers. And those false teachers began to fill their minds of worldly wisdom. And so First Church of Corinth took their eyes off of Jesus Christ and began to look to the world, to the philosophies of the world, to the wisdom of the world, to the structures of the world, to the leadership of the world, began to look and act and speak and talk more like the world. And so Paul said, you know what, there's a problem. I, I, I need to make sure that you as First Church of Corinth, I need to make sure that, that you're reminded of something, of early, that what's most important. I need to remind you of, of what the habits of a healthy church should really be. You might say ultimately that these are the message and the mark of a healthy church. What are they? What I, what I hope, can I just say this as, as just a member of FBNO? My prayer is that this is a church, though it has a rich history, my prayer that, that this would be a church that, that absolutely keeps its focus, its attention, its eyes on the truth of the gospel. I know that we have a pastor who's leading us to do that, but listen, it takes more than just the pastor. It takes more than Pastor Chad and the other pastors who are here. It takes every single one of us keeping our eyes on Christ and Christ alone. My prayer for First Baptist New Orleans is that we will be a people who ultimately proclaim a simple message and practice humility so that, so that God can move in our midst. That's what Paul writes in this letter. Writing to the church that was split by division and had so many issues, Paul said, let me make sure you remember this church. There, there's a few things that will mark you as a healthy church. There's some things you need to give priority. What's the first one? Look at the text. Paul says that as a church that we are called to proclaim a simple message. What matters most, FBNO, 
is that we proclaim a simple message. Verses one through two says, when I came to you, brothers and sisters, announcing the mystery of God to you, I did not come with brilliance of speech or wisdom. I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. Paul says here in these first two verses that, that whenever he first came and presented the gospel, that he did not do so with impressive words or, or with a, a amazing human reasoning. If you read through the letters that Paul wrote to the churches at Corinth, to the church at Corinth, you actually see that, that what Paul was doing is he was opposing those who were relying on human wisdom and philosophies and who had infiltrated the world. All throughout the letter, he's constantly confronting them and, and saying, look, as, as believers, you, you need to give priority to the word of God. You need to give priority to proclaiming the word of God. And so all throughout these letters, Paul is actually opposing those who were using and relying upon human wisdom more than the word of God itself. Paul says, look, as a church, you need to make sure that you don't rely upon what the world says. Now look, if you understand who Paul is, you can read through all of the scriptures through the New Testament. And a lot of that times you'll see, see the apostle Paul being, uh, being described and, and we see more about who he was in his life. He was a man who had a great education. He was a man who had a great pedigree. He was a man who at one point was the Pharisee among all Pharisees. He was a man who was educated, who was able to debate, who could have interacted with any philosophy of the world. If there was ever a man who could step into the, to the arena of society and debate with the philosophies and the philosophers, it would have been the apostle Paul. But Paul says, when I came to you, First Church of Corinth, I wanted to make sure that I did nothing else but point you to not what the world says, but to what God's word says. I wanted to point you to Christ and Christ alone. He wanted to make sure that he kept the main thing, the main thing. What was that? We, we see more in the context. You don't have to stand. I'm gonna ask you to, to step back though. First Corinthians chapter one, we see a little more of the context here. First Corinthians chapter one, pick up in verse 20. says, where, where's the one who is wise? Where's the teacher of the law? Where's the debater of this age? Hasn't God made the world's wisdom foolish? For since in God's wisdom, the world did not know God through wisdom, God was pleased to save those who believe through the foolishness of what is preached. For the Jews ask for signs and the Greeks seek wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to the Jews and foolishness to the Gentiles. Yet to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God because God's foolishness is wiser than human wisdom and God's weakness is stronger than human strength. Paul says, look, when I came to you, I just wanted to make sure that I continued to preach Christ and him crucified. That's what was most important because even the weakest part of God is so much greater than the strength of any man. He's using some, I guess you would say some, some irony here because he knows there is no weakness in God, right? But, but there's certainly weakness in us. That there's power in who God is and, 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 it is, and he's always stronger than anything that man might provide. Keep reading in verse 26, brothers and sisters, consider your calling. Now, when you read that, you might be thinking, a lot of times as pastors and, and educators at the seminary, we talk about people answering the call. And we sometimes think about those who are just called to full-time vocational ministry. That's not who Paul's writing to here. Who's Paul writing to? To the entire church. 
So if you're in this room and you've trusted in Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord, when, when Paul talks to those who, who have this calling in life, he's talking to you and me. Did you know that if you've trusted in Jesus Christ, you have a calling on your life? It might not be to be a full-time pastor, but you still have a calling on your life. What is that? Thank you for asking, Paul would say. Brothers and sisters, consider your calling. Not many were wise from a human perspective, not many powerful, not many of noble birth. Instead, God has chosen what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. And God has chosen what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God has chosen what is insignificant and despised in the world, what is viewed as nothing to bring to nothing, what is actually viewed as something. So that no one may boast in his presence, verse 30. It is from him that you were in Christ Jesus who became wisdom for God for us, our righteousness, our sanctification, our redemption, in order that, as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. Hear me. What's Paul doing here? He's reminding the church at Corinth that his greatest concern was proclaiming the simple truth of the gospel. Paul's priority, Paul's focus, Paul's ultimate mission, which he was trying to pass on to the church at Corinth to remind them, this is what matters most, that you would be a people who just keep preaching the good news of the gospel, that you would be a people who would just focus on proclaiming the good news of the gospel on the streets of Bourbon from the neighborhoods of Gentilly to the North Shore, to the ends of the earth that, that First Baptist New Orleans would focus on its primary mission, just proclaim Jesus. Paul tells us exactly what that looks like. He'd go on to write in this letter in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses one through four, reminding them of what it was that he needed them to preach and proclaim, right? The gospel, 1 Corinthians 15, one through four, just listen to what he says. Now I want to make clear to you, brothers and sisters, the gospel I preached to you, which I received, on which you have taken your stand and by which you are being saved. He said, look, sometimes you've walked away from the truth and the power of the gospel. So let me, let me remind you one more time, what is the gospel? For I passed on to you as of most important what I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. Church, what matters most? For the local church, for us as individuals, for First Baptist New Orleans, what matters most? Back in our current text, 1 Corinthians 2, 2, Paul says, I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. What matters most? It's the proclamation of the gospel. It's not, it's not wowing the crowd. It's not entertaining. It's not tickling the ears of those who might walk in the doors. It's not... It's not meeting physical needs without also addressing spiritual needs. That's why I'm grateful for ministries like Upward and for Inward and Outward. I'm going to get there. There are all of those. There's Upward, there's Inward, 
and so many other things. But that's why I'm grateful for ministries like that because yes, they meet many, right? It, it opens a door meeting needs, actual physical needs, but, but ultimately the priority is to the proclamation of the gospel, addressing spiritual needs. Listen, it's, it's, not, it's not simply addressing social justice issues without also pointing people to the saving Jesus Christ. That's the priority. That's the priority of my life. That's the priority of your life. That's the priority of First Baptist New Orleans. All those are important things that we should speak to. But as we're speaking to them, we lift up the name of Jesus, Paul says. You want to make sure you're a healthy church? Do this first. Preach Christ and him crucified. You want to make sure you're a healthy individual who's following Jesus Christ? Do this first. Proclaim the love of Christ through his death, burial, and resurrection. Start there, church. And don't forget it. There might be someone here this morning who actually doesn't know exactly what I'm talking about. Paul write another letter to the church at Rome in Romans 6.23 says, for the wages of sin is death. If you're here this morning, you've never trusted in Jesus Christ. I've got some, I've got some terribly awful bad news for you. If you've never trusted in Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord, you're bound for hell. Your sins are deserving of death and eternal damnation, separated from God. That's terrible news. But... I was reminded this week of that, of that sanctified conjunction. The word goes on to say, for the wages of sin is death. That's terribly awful bad news. But the sanctified conjunction points to the marvelous truth of great news that I have for you. The wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Paul would go on to write in Romans 10, 9, that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. There's bad news and there's great news. The bad news is you deserve hell and punishment. The good news is, is that Jesus Christ took it upon himself in your place if you'll just simply trust in him. There's bad news and there's really good news. The good news is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Church, if you're here this morning, you've trusted in Christ. Paul says, you want to make sure you're a healthy church? Proclaim the gospel of Christ. In, in all your actions and all your works and all your deeds, just keep proclaiming Christ. My prayer for First Baptist New Orleans is that you will always be a church in its ministries, in its outreach, in its neighborhoods, in this place, in these walls, outside these walls, that this will always be a church that keeps proclaiming Jesus Christ. Nothing but Christ and him crucified. Paul says, you want to make sure you're a healthy church? Proclaim a simple message. But he doesn't stop there. He says, not only should you make sure that you keep proclaiming a simple message, you want to make sure you're a healthy church, proclaim a simple message. But as you do it, 
He says, also practice humility. Pick up in verse 3. I came to you in weakness and fear and much trembling. My speech and my preaching were not with persuasive words of wisdom. Let's pause for a second there. We, we read this passage and, and you're kind of struck, right? Again, if you, if you kind of really, if you really read most, the majority of the New Testament, if you read just First and Second Corinthians, you read the book of Acts, you see, you see kind of what's happening here in its context. Paul had every reason to be anxious. Whenever he wrote this letter, his life was in danger. If you go back and you read Acts chapter 18, you kind of see the context of what's happening here. Paul was actually preaching the truth of the gospel, preaching the simple message of the gospel. And at the same time, as a result of his proclaiming the truth of the gospel in Corinth, a group of bunch of angry Jews came and, and took him up and, and took him to trial. And ultimately, when Paul wrote this letter, he was... His life was in danger. He had every reason to be anxious about his life because it could have been taken from him because his priority was proclaiming a simple message. But when you read through the letters of Paul, you actually see that whenever Paul used language like this, this is something that, that's amazing to me. Paul, Paul was not fearful of what man could do to him. Paul, Paul was not worried even about what these angry Jews could do to him, right? Because he once had been a very, very outspoken Jew, a Pharisee of all Pharisees. He once had, had been a man who was actually hunting down Christians and, and, and killing them and putting them in prison. He, he, he once had been one of the favored ones in the Jewish society. And, and now he's actually met Jesus Christ. And, and his life was radically changed. Now at this point, writing this letter, his life is absolutely in danger. But when Paul writes these words, he's not, he's not fearful of what these Jews could do to him. You see it throughout his other writings, how he continued to proclaim the good news of the gospel, even when he was in prison. So, so why, why was Paul fearful? What, what, is, what does this expression mean? Whenever you read through the scriptures, you actually see that this fear and trembling all throughout the Bible, this is an expression that's used. Ultimately, fear and trembling are the result of an encounter with God. This expression, as you read it from the Old Testament, even in the New, when someone says that they were with them or, or they experienced fear and trembling, it's because that person had a, a radical encounter with God himself. It, it describes a, a, a spirit of dependence upon God's authority. And really that marked all of Paul's ministry, right? You remember the story? Paul was on the road, traveling, going from one city to the next, looking for more Christians to, to punish. And who showed up? Jesus. The resurrected Christ standing before Paul, speaking to Paul himself, if you read the story, we see that Paul's life was radically changed. In fact, he, it changed so much that he changed his name. He once was Saul, now becomes Paul. Well, he was a man, hear me, he was a man who had met Jesus face to face. 
And it radically changed his life so that, so that then whenever he was standing before the proconsul, and then whenever he was standing before, before judges, then before, as he was standing before people who were ready to stone him as a Christian, he continued to proclaim the simple truth of the gospel. He once was a man who persecuted Christians. Now he's a man who is proclaiming Christ. He is a man who has been radically changed and his life is not fearful of what man can do. His life is in awe of who Christ is and what Christ did in him. So when Paul uses this language that he was with them in fear and trembling, it was not because of what the Jews could do to him. It was because he had been in the presence of Jesus himself. And what was the response? He stood in awe of God. And it humbled him radically. Hear me, church. What we're called to do is to proclaim a simple message of the gospel. And as we proclaim it, we proclaim it in absolute humility. Why? Because we've been with Jesus. Because Jesus has changed our lives because Christ has changed. He's transformed me. We, we should be a people who proclaim Jesus in all of our actions and all of our deeds and, every, and where, wherever we're at in society, we proclaim Jesus Christ in love and humility. Why? Because we've been changed. You see this as we continue on in verse four, Paul says, my speech and my preaching were not with persuasive words of wisdom. Paul determined, right, that when he was with the church at Corinth that he was not gonna persuade them with the philosophies of the world, which they had already been wrapped up in with these false teachers who had infiltrated the world. Why? Because listen, hear me, human words of wisdom, no matter how eloquent or persuasive, rob the gospel of its power. When, when you or I make more of self than we make of the Savior, when, when you or I as individuals, when we as the, as the church, right? If, if we as FB&O were, were even doing good things so that, so that people would notice us more than they notice Christ, hear me, we are robbing the gospel of its power. If you and I want to build a platform so that we can stand upon it, so that, so that when people look at us and say, oh, I would love to be like him, instead of saying, oh, I would love to be like the Savior who's humbled that man. If we make much of self, then we're robbing the gospel of its very power. Paul would write another letter to the church at Corinth in 2 Corinthians 4 or 5. He would say this, for we do not preach ourselves, but Christ Jesus as Lord and ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. I don't preach myself. I don't do it to be noticed. I don't do it so that people would look at me and say, doggone it, I wish I could be like him. I preach Christ and him crucified and serve you as Jesus has called me to serve. What matters most? Jesus would say it this way in Luke 9, 23, if anyone wants to follow me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily and 
follow after me. Keep your hand here in 1 Corinthians. I know we got just a few minutes. Keep your hands in 1 Corinthians. Join me in Philippians. Paul wrote another letter to the church at Philippi. Philippians chapter 2. Just listen to what he says. Philippians 2, pointing to verse 5. It says, you, you want to make sure that, that you're living in a way that brings glory to Christ? Philippians 2, verse 5. Adopt the same attitude as that of Christ Jesus. Look, it, Paul says, I, I want to make sure that, that you are living like Jesus. So what, what does that look like, Paul? How can we do that? So look, adopt the same attitude, right? Adopt the attitude that Christ had in his life so that ultimately we can point to the truth of who the Father is. Adopt the same attitude as that of Christ Jesus, who, existing in the form of God, did not consider equality with God as something to be exploited. Instead, he emptied himself by assuming the form of a servant, taking on the likeness of humanity. And when he had come as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. For this reason, God highly exalted him and gave him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee, every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Church, adopt this attitude. Be like Jesus. How did Jesus come? He came in absolute humility. Jesus would say of himself, I did not come to be served, but to serve and to give my life as a ransom for the many. Hear me, First Baptist New Orleans. Please. I want FBNO to be a healthy church. It will only happen. I'm not, saying, I'm not saying we're not healthy. I'm not saying we're not doing these things. I'm simply saying we got to make sure this is our priority. I want FBNO to be an absolutely healthy, growing, vibrant church. It would only happen if we continue to proclaim a simple message, the message of the gospel. It will only happen if we will humble ourselves daily, take up our cross, denying ourselves, and follow after Christ. It will only happen when we are proclaiming the good news of the gospel and dying to self. If that becomes woven into the tapestry of who we are as FBNO and who we are as individual Christians, if that becomes all-consuming, then something amazing is going to happen. I believe God's doing it now. Something amazing will continue to happen. What is that? Last few minutes, look at what, what Paul says here. If we'll preach a simple message, we'll practice humility then powerful results will come. Powerful results will come. Pick up in verse four. My speech and my preaching were not with persuasive words of wisdom, right? Listen, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power so that your faith might not be based on human wisdom, but on God's power. The scripture is very clear that we serve a powerful God who is among us through the indwelling Spirit of God. When you trusted in Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord, the Bible tells us the Holy Spirit came to indwell you, to ultimately to seal you, to, to adopt you into the family of God. And, and he's given you a spiritual gift so that you can use that in the edification of the church and the evangelization of the lost. And he's called us all to humble ourselves. And, and the Holy Spirit is in us. The Holy Spirit is in this place because
because, because we're in this place. Look, we serve the God of the universe who spoke this place into existence. And at the same time, he's indwelt us. And he's wanting to do something great in the life of FBNO because, because that's his plan. Go back to Acts chapter 18. I mentioned earlier kind of the context of what Paul was writing. Listen to, listen to what Acts 18 verse 8 says. It said, Crispus, this is when Paul had very humbly proclaimed the good news of the gospel, right? In Corinth, even though his life was in danger, he proclaimed the good news of the gospel very simply and very humbly. Acts 18.8, Crispus, the leader of the synagogue, believed in the Lord along with his whole household. Many of the Corinthians, when they heard, believed and were baptized. Paul proclaimed a simple message and practice humility while he was doing it. And God showed up and did something incredible. What matters most, FBNO? Proclaim Jesus. Proclaim Jesus. Proclaim Christ in your life. Proclaim Christ in your home. Proclaim Christ in your work. Proclaim Christ in the grocery store. Proclaim Christ on the street corner. Proclaim Christ on the parade route. Proclaim Jesus Christ. Make much of him and make little of yourselves. Become less. Stop worrying about what you want, what you like. Grow in humility. It's almost ironic. Grow in humility. And watch God do something incredible. Proclaim a simple message. Practice humility. And powerful results will come. I want to ask if you will, just bow your heads and close your eyes. We want to do a little business with the Lord this morning. We want to come before him. I want to give you an opportunity to respond. If you're here this morning and you've never trusted in Christ, hear me. You've heard the truth of the gospel. You've heard the truth of the gospel. So I'll be here at the front. Some of the pastors and I will be down front. We'd love to talk with you how you could trust in Christ. It's very simple. But we'd love to explain to you what that looks like. Others of you... Maybe God's just stirring in your heart how you can continue to be a faithful member here at FBNO. I don't know how God is working in your life, but I do know this, he's always working. The question is, how will we respond? My prayer for First Baptist New Orleans is that we will absolutely be, absolutely be a people who proclaim the good news of the gospel from the, from the streets to the nations from the neighborhoods to the nations. That we'll be a people who simply proclaim Christ and that we will be a people who humble ourselves. And as we do that, God will continue to do great and mighty things. As the band is coming, they're going to continue, they're just going to lead us in a time of worship. I ask you if you will stand to your feet. And as you do, let's pray a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for your love, your mercy, and your grace. Lord, we thank you for the opportunity that we have to gather in this place. Lord, again, we lift up our pastor. 
and cold to you. We pray for their family. But Lord, we also pray right now, Lord, that you would do a work amongst us. Lord, help us to stay committed to proclaiming the good news of the gospel. Help us to be a people who are humbling ourselves before you. And then, Lord, we pray that you would make much of yourself in and through us. Lord, do a great and mighty work here at FBNO today, tomorrow, and the years ahead because we just simply want to know Christ and Him crucified. Lord, may that be true of us as your people. Lord, we, today we give you ourselves and we ask all this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Savior and Lord. Amen. However the Lord is leading this morning, you come.